Well, as Kent mentioned in his introduction, uh, Steve and Tammy are in South Carolina for the funeral of a longtime friend whose battle with ALS has mercifully now ended. Paula Jones is now in the presence of Jesus, and for that, we can rejoice. But I also would ask that you would join us in prayer for Bill Jones and all of his family. And no, Bill Jones and Steve Jones aren't brothers. They just happen to have the same last name. They are brothers in Christ, but they've been very, very good friends for over 40 years. I say all of that to repeat what Kent's already said and to say you're stuck with me this morning. So I truly appreciate your prayers as God reveals his message to us through me today. Well, in 2016, I read a book by this preacher dude that I respect a lot, and I, I knew of him, and this book rocked my world. It absolutely rocked my world. In the introduction in this book, he talks about being in the sanctuary and praying about a message that he is preparing for Easter. And he starts off praying that God will just fill this place with people. And that kind of is the focus of his prayer. And then he sits down and he takes a Bible out of a chair in front of him and he just lets it randomly open up. You know, kind of playing magic eight ball with the scriptures. And it falls to John chapter 6. Now the teaching in John chapter 6 is talking about this huge crowd has been there to follow Jesus. He's just fed 5,000 men and then women and children in addition to that. And the crowd is there, man, and they're all like, all right, the Jesus show, man, what's coming up next? And then Jesus starts giving some really hard teaching to the point that we read in John chapter 6, verse 66, that the crowds left him in mass. They abandoned him. Here's the bottom line of that introduction to the book as in Kyle Eidelman's own words. I sat in the sanctuary surrounded by thousands of empty seats. Here's what became clear to me. It wasn't the size of the crowd Jesus cared about. It was their level of commitment. I put the Bible back in the chair in front of me. I cried. God, I am sorry. Now, since I first read those words, I have daily endeavored to be a fully committed follower of Jesus. Not an easy task, and I will freely confess to you there are times when I fail miserably. However, when I do, I try to get right back on track and make tomorrow a better day for the kingdom than today. My daily desire is not to be a fan of Jesus, but to be a follower of Jesus. And I have to tell you, that desire does not allow me to be silent when I'm speaking with others who say they want to follow Jesus as well. Last week, Chris Stevenson reminded us that New Year's resolutions rarely last or have a meaningful impact in our lives Remember, only about 8% are going to even halfway follow through. And even of those, they're going to give up by January 23rd. So if you're still following through with your resolution, keep going. It's not January 23rd yet. You're not off the hook, all right? Keep going. But today, 
I am challenged to remember a daily commitment that I need to make to follow Jesus. Now, we all have trouble with commitments, and I'm not just talking about guys in a relationship situation. We all have trouble with commitments. We mean well, and we truly desire to follow through. We just grow weary. I mean, the mundane, day-to-day grind wears us down. If we're not careful, good habits are easily replaced by not-so-good habits. Not to mention the distractions and those oh-so-good intentions that we fail to follow through. Before we know it, we've become fans of Jesus. Oh, we come to church on Sundays. We may even throw a few bucks in the offering box uh, on our way out the door. We truly want other people to have a saving relationship with Jesus, and we pray that the elders and the deacons and the ministers and the staff will take care of that for us as we go about our normal day-to-day living. Because after all, once the church service is over, we gotta, we got to go. But we're big fans of Jesus. Church, hear me today when I tell you Jesus is not interested in fans. He wants followers. Jesus is not interested in fans. He wants followers. But what does that look like? I mean, how do we who are relationship challenged, we who are weary and worn down, push through fandom to become a follower? Well, before I get too heavy for too long, I want to play a game with you. I don't have any theme music, but I do have an announcer voice I can use. I'm going to name, or I'm going to show on the screen, and we'll name a slogan, and you tell me the corporation that this slogan represents, okay? Yes, I'm calling this the branding game. I know, you're underwhelmed, right? (laughs) The 830 service folks got every one of these correct. No pressure on you guys, okay? Put the first one up here. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. What's that? Ah, you're one for one, okay. All right, put the next one up there. What's in your wallet? Capital One, I, I don't have that in my wallet, I, I don't know. All right, <laughs> number three, the ultimate driving machine, what is that? A BMW, that's correct. I've seen a BMW before, I've never driven one, so I can't verify the truthfulness of that particular statement, all right? All right, how about the next one, just do it? Nike, yeah, you guys don't have to be so shy, you can shout it out, it's okay. All right, how about this one? It keeps going and going. Yes, ever-ready batteries. (laughs) Deidre Smith, who was in the first service, texted me afterwards, and she had looked some things up on the Google, and this advertising slogan was named by ad agency the number one most effective advertising slogan because of its longevity. You know, this was created in 1989, and it keeps going and going, right? Okay, and finally, you're in good hands with, there you go. All right, you guys got 100%. You have won the fabulous prize of being in this service with me for the rest of the service. I'm underwhelmed again, I get it. (laughs) 
No, no pity applause. No, 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 no. All right. You know what? I bet if I had just posted the pictures of the corporate logos for each of these companies up there, you would have gotten them all as well. You'd have gotten every single one of them. Because each of these companies have worked hard to create a brand that is easily recognizable, appealing, and it attracts as many people as possible. So with that in mind, what is Jesus' brand? Well, in today's American culture, of course, the first thing that will come to mind is love. And Jesus is love. Make no mistake about that. But that is not the brand He chose for Himself or for His followers. What is the slogan? What is the symbol for followers of Christ? Jesus lays it out quite plainly in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, when He says, If anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Oh, there's some branding for you. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In fact, Kyle Eidelman says the slogan for followers of Christ could accurately be captured this way. Come and die. Whew, that's catchy, isn't it? Can't you just see the throngs of people jumping on the Jesus train right now? Yeah, no. No. Back to the thoughts from John chapter 6, when the crowds who were there to see what Jesus was going to do for them, and then find out, wait a minute, you got to do what? And they left. They abandoned Him. The Jesus branding turned the crowds into just a few followers. You see, the people of Jesus' day understood exactly what He was saying when He told them that you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Because the people in Jesus' day understood, first of all, that the cross was a symbol of humiliation. The Romans' means of execution by crucifixion was designed first to humiliate the person being executed. They wanted everyone to know that this person had no power, no authority. He was nothing. We read in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus gave up everything to become nothing. The creative force of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, humbled Himself to the humiliation of the cross. And by the way, He called on His followers to do the same. So we understand, and the people in the first century understood, first of all, the cross was a symbol of humiliation. Secondly, they understood that the cross was a symbol of suffering. Before crucifying a person, uh, it was common for the Romans to beat them, just as they did Jesus. Stripped of all clothing, the prisoner would have their hands tied around a post, stretching their flesh tightly. And they would be beaten often to the point of not being recognizable. Mel Gibson did a tremendous job of portraying that in The Passion of the Christ. After the beating, then came the rest of it. They would place the crossbeam of a cross, sometimes weighing as much as 125 pounds, on the back 
of the person just having been beaten with all of the open wounds there. They probably didn't gently lay it on there. But it was placed on the back of the prisoner and then they had to carry it. Understand this. You cannot carry a cross without suffering. You cannot carry a cross without suffering. A few minutes ago, we sang, For even in your suffering you saw the other side, knowing this was for our salvation, Jesus, for our sake, you died. Jesus endured the suffering of the cross for our sake. So, what are you enduring for His sake? Remember, Jesus' branding slogan is, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Following Jesus will cost you. It will. The Scriptures don't just hint about this. In Luke chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus Himself says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He doesn't just say some people. He says everyone. Paul goes on to write to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. So folks in the first century who heard Jesus' words of, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, understood that the cross was a symbol of humiliation, that the cross was a symbol of suffering, but ultimately the cross was a symbol of death. Anyone carrying a cross truly was a dead man walking. And Jesus makes it clear that following Him means taking up your cross and dying to yourself. So when is the last time that following Jesus cost you something? Can you really say that you're carrying your cross if it hasn't cost you anything? I mean, Jesus speaks very plainly about this. Again, in the 14th chapter of Luke, in verse 27, he starts off this passage and he says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, it's not difficult to understand what's being said there. He's pretty plain there. Then he goes on in this passage to list things and relationships that you have to be willing to give up. I encourage you today to turn to Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 27. Read that little section there. See if it doesn't really put the challenge to you. He ends the section in verse 33 by saying this, So therefore, if any one of you who does not, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, no vague musings here. It's pretty clear. So, what can you do about this? What does it mean if you aren't carrying a cross? What does it say about your relationship with Jesus? 
If you can't say that following Jesus is costing you, are you even following? Can you name one thing that you have given up to follow Jesus? I got to confess that I struggle with this one myself. I have to spend a lot of time really thinking about what have I sacrificed? Are you willing to lose relationships? Move away from family, friends, and home? Are you willing to give up your career? Jesus says we must renounce all that we have in order to follow him. And when he says that, he's not joking. And by the way, while there are blessings on the other side of sacrifice, there's no guarantee that those blessings are going to take place on this side of eternity. Moses died on a mountaintop after being permitted to peek into the promised land, but not enter it. Daniel never got to go back to his beloved Jerusalem. So there's no guarantee that the blessings are going to happen on this side of eternity. We could go on and on with examples like that. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is, is being with Jesus enough reward for you? Is being with Jesus enough reward for you? Because if it's not, then following him might not be for you. You see, you must kick yourself off the throne of your life. When you decide to follow Jesus, you are declaring that Jesus is the boss of you. And only Jesus can be the boss of you. There's not enough room on the throne for Jesus and you. So you got to decide who's going to sit on that throne. A decision to follow Jesus is a decision to die to yourself daily. This is perhaps the most difficult command in all of Scripture. Yet it's a non-negotiable for followers of Jesus. It's also the most rewarding. I now live daily in the blessings that have come and the many sacrifices that have been made seem like a distant memory. I told you I struggle with this one. But I do understand that on the other side of the sacrifice come the blessings. And I can honestly tell you that I have given up everything that I mentioned just a little bit ago in order to follow Jesus. I gave up a 10-year career as a respected broadcast journalist to follow the calling of Jesus in my life. My family gave up living near extended family in the place where Peggy had grown up and had multiple generations of her extended family right there, the only home my children had ever known. And we gave up living there to move a thousand miles away to a town we'd never heard of until just a couple of months before. We even had a family meeting after we had, had come here and done our trial weekend. And i got to tell you, our kids weren't just exactly thrilled about leaving the only home they had ever known. But they did understand the importance of us following the call of Jesus. Even after we moved, there were struggles. Elliot, in particular, our oldest, 
he was going into his sophomore year in high school. There were serious struggles that he went through. In fact, it was during that time that he wrote these words, Lord, what am I doing here? Do I have anything to fear? Things were, past, were running so smoothly by. Now it's gone. And I don't know why. Now, on this side of the sacrifice comes the blessing of laboring for the Lord in paradise on earth. That's what I call Vero Beach. For being a part of the best church family ever. For having seen our children, even as they struggled with, with making this decision and, and following through, to see what's happened in their lives Elliot is married to a godly woman and they've given us three beautiful grandchildren. Ian is married to a godly woman and they've given us two beautiful grandchildren and another one that's coming anytime now. And Emily has married a godly man and they've given us two beautiful grandchildren. So, Kent, Susan, you guys got a long ways to go to catch up. Every bit of this is possible because my family and I chose to sacrifice to follow Jesus. We must die daily to ourselves. We must die daily to ourselves. We must form new habits, a new lifestyle, and we must renew that lifestyle every single day. So what are some habits that we can develop as we embark on this new follower's lifestyle? I'll give you a, a few Sunday school answers, and then I hope that you'll Take that and run with it and develop even further on your own, a personal plan. First of all, spend time in God's Word every day. That's not something to check off on, on your checklist. Okay, I got that out of the way, now what? I love the time I get to spend in God's Word every morning. I love it. I look forward to it. It is just the highlight of my day. And I pray that you too can feel that way. Spend time in meaningful prayer. And by meaningful, I don't mean the grocery list of your wants and needs. I mean, really have a deep conversation with God. Intercede for others. Start with family and friends. And please, 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 if you are not daily praying for the elders and the deacons and the ministers and the staff of this congregation, please start doing that because we need it. Pray for our families because, whoa, do they ever need it because they're married to us. We need that prayer. Intercede for the people that you come in daily contact. Intercede for the people that you work with. Just, just spend time in conversation with God about things, folks. Ask God to show you who you need to talk with. Elliot and I were talking about this part of, of the message earlier this week, and he said, you know, Dad, I have recently kind of flipped the formula on my prayer. I used to start off with praise to God because he's worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And then I would go into the wants and the needs and even the whining that I do in my prayers. He said, I've flipped that around. Now I start with the wants and the needs and the whining, confessing that before God. And I end in praising the God who is able. And he said, that has just set the tone for my day in such a great way. So spend 
meaningful time in prayer. Serve your family and your friends, your church family. And by serve, I mean go out of your way to do something for them without any expectation of anything in return. There may even be some suffering involved here. Over the past year, because I have a really thick skull, God has been trying to pound into me this. Service without sacrifice is self-serving. Service without sacrifice is self-serving. And after all, if we're going to kick ourselves off the throne of our lives, then we need to be willing to sacrifice in serving others. Another one, invite someone to church next Sunday. Ask them to come to church with you. Not everyone whom you invite is going to say yes, but statistics show that there's a great number of folks out there who would come to church if someone invited them. You could change someone's life this week simply by inviting them to come to a church service. So who can you invite in this coming week? And then live in a manner that attracts others to Jesus. Be pleasant even in frustrating situations. Tip generously. Speak to cashiers and other service personnel by name. They all wear name tags. You can read the name. The sweetest sound in anybody's ear is the sound of their own name. So man, a smile and a thank you for what you do and their name. Yikes. You get the gist? But don't stop with these couple of suggestions. Please develop a lifestyle that proclaims to others that Jesus is the boss of me. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this place today. Thank you for the privilege of serving you. Thank you for the sacrifices that you call on us to make. May we do so freely and joyfully. May we have no expectation of rewards in this life, but know that obedience to you brings blessing beyond measure throughout all eternity. We ask all of this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. May we follow him daily. Amen.